Hello and welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I am your host, Luke McLean. This is the show where I interview experts on all things mental health and well-being, from strategies you can learn like mindfulness, deep breathing, and cold showers, to people with lived experience like myself who have lived with mental illness and or addiction and open up about their pain to share what has helped and hindered them to provide you with motivation and inspiration to live the best life you can. So let's take the power of our minds back and live a healthier and happier life. Now, my next guest on the show, Vincent Riviere, is a close personal friend. He's a mental health practitioner. He's worked in the child and adolescent mental health and well-being field for over 12 years. He's an accredited and nationally recognized facilitator of both youth and standard mental health first aid. He's worked all around the world within uh, the mental health space, but his knowledge is, is incredible. But more importantly, knowing Vincent on a personal level, he is a truly incredible person in the sense that his capacity to just listen, his capacity to support, assist, to care is really, really valuable. And we dive into a bunch of topics that you know, are very poorly educated upon, I guess, in, in terms of anxiety, in terms of depression, um, and in terms of how to support someone, which it should be a simple thing that we, we all should know. And, you know, the, the value that Vincent can bring is, is absolutely incredible. And, you know, we've been working together through Mind Over Matter uh, for quite some time now. And Vincent is always just about helping how can I help? What can I do? You know, he, he is such a, a selfless person. And, you know, I'm really fortunate to have Vincent, not only in a professional sense, um, but in a personal sense. And I really hope that you gain a lot from this from this interview where we sat down and, and spoke about all of these different types of things. Feel free to reach out to Vincent. Feel free to uh, look at the work that he is, is now doing through Posimente, which we do speak about within this interview. Um, he's an incredible facilitator. I've only ever got amazing feedback from, from any of the clients that we've had when, he've, when he's run uh, the clinical training or at the accredited mental health first aid courses. So, you know, amazing conversation and, you know, I might be pumping it up um, a little bit much, but it's so important to be able to gain these these simple skills, but so valuable. Um, and before we dive in, I really just want to, once again, from, I guess, the bottom of my heart, thank you, Vincent. Um, you know, going through COVID, times can be difficult for everyone. And yes, we're in it together, but we all experience it differently. Um, you know, for me, the first couple of weeks, I was I was absolutely amazing. I felt fine and um, stress levels were, were not there. Over time, I started to, to notice unproductive behaviors. I started to notice that, you know, I was doing things, um, you know, like playing video games or uh, not exercising or, or eating junk. And these types of things can slowly creep in. Um, it's important to have, and for me, very very important to have people like Vincent in my life who will check in who identifies my safety plan um, who identifies what makes me well and what makes me unwell and is there to ask the hard questions when things aren't going so well there to, to ask me how I'm going to stimulate my recovery 
And, you know, I just implore you all, if you don't have a Vincent in your life, get one. But um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, and, yeah, if there's any feedback on this particular topic, we would love to hear it. Just a quick note from today's sponsor, which is an amazing sponsor, and then we'll dive straight into this episode. Have you ever tried to meditate and end up just giving up after a few times trying or even on the first go? Are you someone that doesn't know if you're doing it right, you don't know where to start? Well, I can tell you I was definitely, definitely exactly like that. And that's where Muse helps. Muse is a device widely used by neuroscience researchers around the world. It uses advanced signal processing to interpret your mental activity to help guide you. When your mind is calm and settled, you hear peaceful weather. Busy mind? Well, as your focus drifts, you'll hear stormy weather that cues you to bring your attention back to your breath. Muse connects to your mobile device via Bluetooth, and once connected, simply start the app, put on your headphones, and close your eyes. Once your session is complete, you can review your results and track your progress. Muse does not use electrical stimulation. It's a passive tool that gives you accurate, real-time feedback on what's happening in your brain. And after each session, you'll see how you did through a series of graphs and charts in the Muse Meditation app. Muse will show you how your brain, heart, breath, and body did from moment to moment through simple, easy-to-understand graphs and charts. To help keep you motivated and improving, Muse also gives you points, goals, challenges, and bonuses to strive for. With every session, you earn points and can adjust your goal to fit your needs. Head to bit.ly forward slash mindovermatter dash muse. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash mindovermatter dash muse where you can view their range of products. And for Mind Over Matter listeners, you can receive 75 bucks, that's $75 off, a Muse 2 bundle plus a one-year subscription. Enjoy. G'day, Vincent. How are you, mate? Good, Luke. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very well. I um, Now, for the, for the listeners that aren't aware, obviously, we, we I would say communicate quite regularly and um i certainly appreciate not just your your knowledge and and wisdom but the care you show so i'm i'm looking forward to being able to i guess ask some questions that may seem um obvious or that may seem a bit easy for some people but then i think this really comes back to the fact that mental health mental illness it's it's really a, a topic that some people just have no knowledge or, or education on. So I'm I'm really looking forward to being able to to ask some um, some powerful questions and, and get your insight, mate. But first of all, how are you feeling? Yeah, great. Well, thanks for having me uh, and 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 connecting with me, uh, Luke. And like you said, now we do have um, we've had some fantastic. Um, you know, conversations, really meaningful conversations. And I th- it's a it's a two-way street, I think. Um, there's plenty of times where I've had um, conversations with you and you've been able to support me in terms of my process and 
how I've gone during that day or during that moment. Um, so it's a it's a two way street of supports, and, I, and I'm really grateful for our connection, Luke. So, but I'm doing well. It's uh, what are we a month into um, sort of restrictions and lockdowns uh, within South Australia, and it is affecting obviously the work that I do, especially within education. Um, I do a lot of my work, you know, training um, staff. Uh, around supporting themselves with their own mental health and well-being and others um, that might be suffering from from mental health difficulties. So we've obviously seen uh, that drop off dramatically. Uh, so we're no longer able to train people face-to-face and obviously that's affected a lot of my work. And then also the client work that I do with children and young people um, through uh, the centre that I work in, the clinic that I work in, unfortunately, we don't, we no longer, we're no longer able to see um, children or young people face to face. So, doing a lot of telephone therapy or teletherapy. Um, so we've, um, you know, lots of things have obviously been uh, affected during this period. Um, so obviously, looking for the restrictions to be lifted, so we can, I can start connecting back with people face to face and. Uh, delivering meaningful training and finding out what people are doing within their workspaces and, and how they're supporting each other um, is something that I'm really looking forward to be doing and then also connecting with young people and children face-to-face as well. So looking forward to uh, the restrictions lifting. Yes, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Now, today we are going to talk about some, I guess, some difficult topics and the difficult word can have a a double meaning there. I guess it's difficult because sometimes it's hard to have these conversations, but also it's difficult because of, as I mentioned previously, the lack of education around some of these topics. But we're going to dive into um, some mental illnesses, essentially the more commonly labelled ones in in being depression, anxiety, but also we're going to to touch on suicide as well. But firstly, before um, we get into that, I, I do have, I guess, a couple of questions around the work that you do do that you mentioned so i guess first how did you get into the work that you do secondly why do you do it and thirdly how do you cope with everyday life when you are having these conversations daily and doing the work that you do that's a that's a great set of questions luke and i think for me getting uh working within this space and I've been now within the space coming up to 15 years. Um, so for me, I, I had a, obviously an early connection um, to mental health and, and well-being through just uh, friends and, and family um, suffering from, from different uh, mental health difficulties and, and illness. Um, and then after that, uh, once I started my sort of professional working career early on I went uh, into the armed forces and I was working uh, as a paramedic uh, within the army Um, that's I guess when it really dawned on me uh, how significant mental health was I guess within the the scope of of well-being so lots of times I'd be supporting a a young person who'd come in with a an injury uh, you know caused by um, an action, whether it was self-inflicted during the army or or, tra- or via training um, or just via themselves uh, being left to their own devices, you know, during during the evening and and ending up at, uh, at the boozer and, and on the cheap beers. 
um, and lots of times I'd be supporting them with their physical uh, injury. Um, but then obviously while you're sitting there building a relationship with you, obviously the mental health stuff we would explore um, or, I, or it would just sort of come natural that we'd explore and they'd just have a conversation about how they were going. And then obviously um, lots of stuff would follow through. And most often than not, it was the mental health side of things um, that were really, uh, that was really, uh, I guess, stopping them from improving their outcomes, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, becoming a better soldier or a better human being. Um, and I just didn't know enough about it. So I, I, it piqued my interest then how many young people I was coming into contact with in the armed forces that were suffering from high-level mental health difficulties uh, or mental illness, but I just didn't have the tools to be able to support them. So um, obviously I, I discharged from the army went and studied um, youth sciences and, and behavioural sciences and social sciences um, and went down that field and wanted to get back into the armed forces to be able to obviously work um, within that space of, of mental health and wellbeing. But unfortunately, uh, once I started working uh, on the outside, I enjoyed uh, cutting my hair a little bit differently and what the outside world outside of the armed forces uh, gave me. So I, um, I didn't end up going back, which is a decision I'm pretty, pretty happy with now. So um, that's how I, I ended up um, getting into the space and then just, just being able to, I guess, support people, understand them, um, giving them a space to be able to help them process what they were going through, especially children, young people, um, became a real passion of mine. And then from there, um, working within that education space was something that I became even more passionate about because being able to um, support people to understand how much of a difference they can actually make in someone's life who is having a, a mental health difficulty is, is something that I find is is probably the most important role. Um, and then as a community, we have a, you know, we've got a responsibility to support each other. It's not just a mental health professional. Um, and I always say this within all my trainings, that um, most often than not when I ask a child or young person who's been the most significant person in terms of who's made the, the most difference on on their life in terms of their their um their recovery within uh, within their mental health journey um, they never turn around and say the mental health professional they usually turn around and always say whether it's a, a family member a, a teacher or a school staff member a sporting coach so it's people within the community that are every day taking the time to support someone through a difficulty so being able to project that on people via training and then help them to um, build their capacity in terms of skills is something that I really, really enjoy doing. So that's for me how I how I started and, and how I'm sort of, I guess, progressing within my career. And, and the final question I believe you asked, Luke, was around how do I cope from day to day? Um, right, and so I, have, I guess... I was just going to say you have a very good yeah. memory. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. When you work in this space of uh, of assessment and stuff, you're always having to uh, remember. So you, you write a good case note at the end or a good assessment form. But uh, for me, um, it's more around routine. Um, I guess being able to compartmentalise um, what I can do and what I can't do and being really, really um, explicit about the boundaries. So 
when I do connect with a child or young person, it's about telling them what I can do and what I can't do in terms of my role, where that information has to go if I can't manage the risk, uh, who's going to be involved, but also making sure that they're part of that journey as well. Then you know, I'm not making decisions for them. So um, for me, it's just routine, looking after my own well-being, um, going through like a structured routine after after work, during work, if I have a couple of, you know, some, some difficult assessments, I'll, I'll go outside and, and go through a, you know, a routine where I reconnect my senses back to my environment and, and recover from, from those, those meaningful conversations. So for me, it's all about routine. Um, I've done it for 15 years and, you know, whether it's, you know, after work going for a, a bike ride or a run, um, I'll always do something to improve my my well-being um, and that's part of my recovery plan and it's and I'm really happy to be working in this space I think it's working I think so mate you're um when I first met you I thought you were about 22 and I heard you were about 55 so (laughs) (laughs) coming up to 40 so yeah yeah that's right definitely looking good for your age mate so you can see that you look after yourself um physically but obviously mentally as well and I was just going to ask on that um, so beautifully answered that you did with a fantastic memory. But on that as well, because obviously there's a lot of people working in the space in, in the mental mm. health industry. And I guess when people have studied like you have, is there mm. almost a, does it get to a point because you're certainly not immune because you are human. So you can have yeah. these issues yourself. It, does it get to a point where because you've learned it, because you've studied it, and you're theoretically supposed to know all of this information that if problems do arise, is it harder to ask for help if you have the knowledge? Is it almost harder? Uh, I think so. I think it, it, it can be, um, it, and it, def- it depends, I guess, on your upbringing and, and a few other things in terms of your, your, your own narrative, how, how you've been brought up, whether it's something within your family where, um, you know, maybe asking for help or, or or seeking assistance for for difficulties might have been something that uh, wasn't projected on you from from a young age. But yeah, look, I think you always have to come back to that that space. And when I when I always uh, work with people within within training and and facilitate training, it's always about you know our goal isn't to to fix people's problems it's it's to support them to manage um the difficulties that they're within so then basically it's a sustainable model so um i guess it's it's around just constantly being self-aware of the impact of of the work that you are doing and that it's having on you um but then also doing little things to be able to recover all the time um, and, and, and that's for me that, like I said, it's always that, um, that self-care recovery, um, also things like supervision help as well. If you've got someone within your workspace that you can go to, to check your practice, to making sure that you're on point and, and go through any really difficult, um, cases in terms of, um, client presentation or, or work that you're doing, I think really, really helps. But yeah, look, I, I think I can see that it could become an issue because I guess within that space, you know, we are expected to know everything, but I, I think my, my mantra and, and my narrative is always, I mean, I'm not the expert of someone else's space and that person is the expert of their space and I'm just there to, to support them to manage 
um, what they're going through. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's how I've always dealt with it. But it, I've seen lots of people work within the space, come and go. Um, and, and that has, bec- that has been a huge issue um, where I guess they, they do feel the pressure of having to have the answers all the time. Um, and it can weigh really, really heavy. Mm. Well, I guess it comes down to not just learning, but it's about implementing and actually putting into to practice, which I guess I guess flowing over into to my personal life, it's it's something that I can learn all of these strategies. I can learn how to calm myself. I can learn how to, you know, a, a positive routine for my well-being, which I've done for many, many years, but then sometimes I just cannot implement it. I then ruminate about whether that's just my mind blocking me, whether it's barriers, whether it's this, whether it's that. And it probably leads me into the the topic I wanted to speak about next, which is I have an anxiety disorder. So perhaps that's Mm -hmm. got something to do with it. Anxiety though, I feel it's, I feel like it's something that people don't really understand. It's a, it's such a common word because essentially this is my view that anxiety or feeling anxious is just a, is a feeling. So then where is the difference between anxiety and a disorder? Because I also feel, and this is a circling question, I guess, but a lot of people then that haven't have a diagnosed disorder almost get um, unhappy or, you know, they, they get, they get pissed off when someone else just says, Oh, I've got anxiety. So, Mm what is the difference between an, an actual disorder, the feeling and what is anxiety that is so, so commonly thrown around? Yeah. And I think because everyone does get anxious, there's probably not a human being on this planet that doesn't, hasn't been anxious at some point. Um, I think obviously the lines can be blurred and it's really easy for the lines to be blurred. Uh, we see that a lot within the space, whether it's a parent calling us up saying, look, I, uh, you know, I want my child's having, you know, lots of issues with anxiety. I'm looking for them to be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Um, but I guess when we, we break it down, it's around, um, it's around functionality. We always look around that, that word functionality. How functional are you within um, the spaces that you, you connect with and, and obviously the work that you do? Um, the communities that you connect with. So looking at, say, a child or a young person, what we'd be looking for is is that lack of functionality over every setting. So say if the child um, can't function at school because the anxiety um, is too great, they can't turn it off, so they can't even um, get out of bed in the morning to be able to get to school or get their clothes on to be able to get to school, Um and, and be able to, uh, you know, productively function um, at school, connect with other people. Um, that's when we, we'd be looking at, at an anxiety disorder and we're looking for that lack of functionality for sort of that two to three week period. So for children and young people, that's difficult because they can cycle in and out of unwellness as opposed to, say, an adult that might be able to sit within that space of unwellness for that two to three week period. So I guess it's... Like I said, it's it's when you, the person can't switch off the anxiety and that's over all settings. So like I said, we've had difficult conversations with parents as well around that where they'll they'll ask us, my child gets really anxious. Okay, well let's let's break it down. Let's have a look at 
where they get anxious. Um, and they might get anxious, uh, you know, in maths and science and, and English, but then at recess, lunch, uh, society and environment, art, PE, they're okay. They're, they're able to function. They're able to connect with others. So that wouldn't, um, they wouldn't then be able to connect with an actual anxiety disorder. So there's a difference. They're just anxious within those other three settings, maybe because something's uh, happened within those classes that they might be fearful um, or they might be quite worried or something's happened to be able to spike their anxiety. So they, they wouldn't then qualify to have an anxiety disorder. So I guess that's what we look for. We look for um, you know, unfunctionality within all spaces um, and the person not being able to switch it off. Okay. So I guess that's the, the, the two main differences Yeah. In a, in a simple way. And I guess if I'm generalizing and maybe this is my personal view, but I, I, I imagine a lot of other people picture someone with anxiety is more just fidgety and, you know, can't stop moving and things like that. So there's, there's these types of symptoms, but are there some more common signs and symptoms that we can be looking out for? for someone that may have a, an anxiety disorder? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more of an external um, style um, mental illness. So you're, you're more likely to see things where the person might be ungrounded, might be fidgeting, uh, might, not be, might be indecisive. Um, but I guess the issue is as well, I mean, it can work both ways as well we've 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 got people and we've had uh, children young people that might go into like a freeze mode and we're seeing that a lot now in within this period of time in lockdown where people's uh, bodies are going into that freeze mode because they are spending more time sitting on social media or um, in front of tvs or in front of computers where basically their 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 body is slowing down so the issue is is that can also happen too so um look within the space of the, the psychological, um, the behavioural and the emotional side of things, you'll be looking within those spaces there and, and there's some key ones, so stuff within the, the you know, the, the psychological, it, it'd be um, you're looking at, 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 at symptoms that are, are more going to affect uh, the human being around stuff like um, being indecisive, you know, their judgment being clouded because they're quite anxious um, with the emotional side. They, they might be um, quite overwhelmed by situations. They might be, um, you know, go straight to the negative. They might catastrophize um, and, and all of a sudden something that's so small becomes something that's really, really, really big. So, uh, and then I guess the physical side of things, you're looking at stuff like changes in diet, um, you know, sleep as well is affected. We see that with people with high levels of anxiety, their sleep is affected. Um, so I guess when, we, when we're looking at signs and symptoms for people, it's, it's just about what does the person normally um, do within a day that you, you're used to seeing that their behaviour, if it starts to change, then it's just about keeping an eye on and what are you, what are you seeing, what are the changes? And if it is that sort of, those sort of behaviours and it's affecting their functionality, then it's about, okay, um, let's have a, a meaningful conversation with that person and see, see what's bothering them, see what's causing them to be so anxious. 
Mm, so two parts from that, I guess. One, mm. what does a meaningful conversation look like and how can you bring that up? But then also in times like this where we are almost, well, a lot of, a lot of places around the world are forced into isolation and people might not be seeing friends and family. So people aren't able to, to notice these things. It can be extremely difficult to notice it yourself. So is there any way that we can, we can keep track of, of what people are doing? Yeah, and no, I think that's that's a really uh, valid point, and 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 we're going to obviously that's a that's a huge um, space where when obviously people aren't connecting face to face, so I guess you're not you might not be able to visually see if they're being affected um, or not, or whether their behaviour is changing. Um, but I, I guess it's 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 probably just being able to to keep those check-ins going um and if you know that person is vulnerable or has you know if there's been an issue before or they've come into you know having some mental health difficulties before um yes this time could be causing them um you know some difficulties so checking in with them finding out how they're going asking them those simple questions you know have you been traveling during this period um, has anything changed for you um, in terms of, of you know, your usual um, daily routine? You know, that sort of, those sort of questions there. Um, and just seeing, I guess, generally how they're going. I mean, if, if you are catching up with them via video call, it's about obviously being able to see, you'll be able to see them then. You'll be able to see whether things like self-care are being attended to. And um, I guess if they are, um, you know, video calling you from a room, you might better see whether the room is in a, in a certain state and you'd be able to sort of ask them about that as well. But I think um, when you are doing these, these, uh, these connections and you are having these meaningful conversations, I guess it's just about coming from that space of, of empathy and being understanding that lots of people are, would be struggling within this time. Um, and I guess just giving that person that space to be able to have that conversation about how they're going um, and process what they're seeing. Um, we, we ran a webinar recently around this topic and lots of people um, are travelling okay at the moment because I guess they've got lots of things to do in terms of organising their life so they feel like they've, they've got some meaning, which is good. Um, others would be really struggling, so I guess it's just about being um, wary that some people do adapt quite easily and get through it, some people don't. But I guess it's just about asking those simple questions, how are things going, how are you travelling within it, um, you know, what sort of stuff are you doing during the day, you know, are you connecting with other people as well to see how they're going. Um, and we always really encourage people to do that too. So it's, um, you know, they're actually got some meaning in terms of being able to support others who might be struggling as well because that obviously helps them to be able to recover too. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. And if I can, I guess, add to that, just speaking from my personal end and also bringing you into this perspective, obviously this is a quite a difficult time that we're currently in, obviously at time of recording, um, you know, COVID-19 and people are starting or well, have been isolated for quite some time. For me personally, I'm, I'm quite lucky that 
you know, I am around um, my girlfriend and then her son quite a lot. Um, not that I'm really seeing anyone else, but I do do a lot of FaceTime calls and Zoom calls and, and things like that. But I guess that when there was a period where we hadn't had a chat for a while, I started to, to get out of a little bit of routine and I didn't really have anyone else being able to, to pick it up and to ask me those direct questions. But then when we did jump on a call and you, you asked me, you know, how are you going? And I, I kind of had to really start thinking about it and I couldn't just lie because you could see that my beard was long and you know, it was starting to look a bit hobo-ish. But I then had to start questioning it myself. But without that, without that conversation, without that connection, it could have just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then that's when I could have really started to slide back into, um, you know, all sorts into potential, um, you know, re-triggering the addiction um, and, and God knows where. So I think it's a very valid point to be able to, for anyone listening, if you, you know, if you've got vulnerable people around you or you've, you've had conversations with friends or family that you know have struggled with, uh, whether it's anxiety or whatever, whatever the issue may be, to check in and to check in regularly and to hold those really powerful, meaningful conversations where you are asking direct questions, you're not taking the piss with it. Um, is there any other questions or, or any ways of being able to communicate that you would recommend or, um, or to do or to not do with those conversations? Yeah, I think it's within this space it's just about um like i said you don't you don't want to be pushing a person that doesn't want to have a have a conversation if if they're they're not within that space because i guess if they are productive and they're functioning um i guess the last thing you want to be doing is 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 triggering triggering them within a conversation um but i guess it's i guess it's about being brave um being empathetic within that that within those conversations and and not not having to have the answers i mean um i think what we see within meaningful conversations that that people have is that they they have them with the right intention but then they get to a space where the person asking the question starts feeling really uncomfortable if the person turns around and actually says well yes i am really struggling uh with a mental health difficulty and this is what i've been feeling like during it and then the person that's asked the question starts to feel really uncomfortable themselves and feels like they have to fix the situation so might start trying to pass over advice um i guess that's not sustainable for them um and the other person um and and the human being that's actually projecting that information on you or having that meaningful conversation with you um, they're not looking for an answer they're not looking for you to fix their problems they're actually just looking for someone to listen and help them to process what's going on um, and I think once people start realizing that that it's actually just a real simple form of empathy as opposed to connecting with that sympathy and trying to fix um, you know, and, and, and understanding and having that perspective that I might be feeling uncomfortable that this human being is telling me this stuff. Um, but you know what? Me just sitting here and saying, you know what, man, that what you're going through sucks. And, and, and um, I'm really sorry that you're going through that. You know, what sort of stuff do you reckon um, we can do to, to, to support you through it? Or, you know, what have you done before to, to get you through as opposed to saying, look, 
look, you know, that sucks. At least, at least you've got your family, or at least you've got a roof over your head, or at least we're not we're not in Italy, or at least we're not we're not in America at the moment. That sort of stuff there, it might help you as a human being that's listening to it uh, and asking the questions to not feel uncomfortable. But the human being that's just projected all this stuff on you. Um, that's not going to help them sustainably. So I guess saying that I've heard you, what can we do together to support your recovery is what that person wants to hear as opposed to trying to give them that answer um, or going sort of that next level doctor feel on them and giving them that quick, you know, that quick, uh, quick response or quick answer to something that is going to take time for them to be able to, to obviously move through. Um, so I think that's, if, if you did, like I said, that's where we don't want to steer down that pathway of giving, trying to fix that person's problems because if they've got an issue now, it's quite likely within the next few weeks or the next day or the next few hours, they're going to have other mental health difficulties and you don't want to constantly be fixing that person's problem. You want to be supporting them to manage it. So that's where, how, to, how can we together, um, you know, support you to manage that situation that does suck. Mm. very good points man and I, I appreciate that i think um you know when i think back to and this is certainly not to discredit mental health first aid because we run that training through mind over matter and you're an accredited trainer but i remember when i first looked at the training manual i was scanning through scanning through and this is at a phase in my life where i always wanted the quick fix i wanted you know where's the give me the the magic solution to, to absolutely everything and you know i want it now I looked through it and I just, I remember thinking all it says here to support someone, not all it says, I shouldn't say that, but the main thing to do to support someone is to listen. And I just remember going, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. But it was the underlying message through the entire thing, whether it's anxiety, whether it was, you know, a suicide attempt, whether it was, um, depression, whether bipolar, whatever's going on to just listen to support and then try and help them. It would, yeah. Is that the simplest way to put a, a two-day course into 10 seconds? But as I said, not to discredit <laughs> it at all. Yeah. But it's yeah. like we want all of these magic solutions of how to support someone. And, you know, I, I had in there, my next question to be, how can you help support that person? It's, is it not just listen and care? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in a, in a real simple format, um, it is, it's just about supporting them to process and giving them an outlet to be able to, you know, to be able to, to talk to someone about, the difficulties that they're in and then like i said your our job is just to support them to manage mm. what they're in like i said once you step into that space of fixing it becomes a really dangerous space because then what you're doing is um you know you're caught you know you're creating a space of dependency so mm. every time that person has uh, a problem or a difficulty um if you fixed it once they'll come to you um and we don't we don't we we don't want that, especially in terms of for yourself. That's not a sustainable outcome for that human being. Um, eventually, it's going to be too much for you as well. So, I guess in a in a, a really really simple format, yeah, it's about listening, but it's about listening properly. I guess there's two ways of listening. 
you can listen with your, your ears open or, or listen with your ears closed. So it's just about saying, like I said, it's it's coming across in with that really empathetic nature, um, but also supporting them to manage um, that difficulty. And then, you know, if you've you've got spaces that that person can connect with us afterwards, whether it's another friend that they can they can uh, connect with another protective factor or um, you know an emergency contact number like a lifeline or a suicide callback service or a um, you know some of the COVID numbers that we see as well now things like the Red Cross um, uh, check-in service all great services so being able to say to that that person look these are available have you have you thought about those sort of things I can help you this is what they do so being knowledgeable on those services is, is really, really important because people at that moment that they might not be perceptive of, of actually what's out there and who can help them. So best it's about opening up those protective factors around them as well. Now, if we're just moving on, I guess we've kind of covered a little bit around or how to support anyway, but when we, when we, I guess, change over to something like a depression, which can come in many different forms, many different formats. Once again, if we go back to when we're talking about anxiety and feeling anxious is something that's so common, I guess feeling down, sad and depressed is something that can be extremely common. So what's the difference between having depression and just feeling depressed? Yeah. And and it's, it's similar to anxiety where most people at some point have, have feel depressed about something or, or some events uh, that have emotionally affected them. There's probably not one person uh, on this planet that hasn't, hasn't felt like that, but I guess it's similar to anxiety. It comes back to um, functionality and, and whether that person um, isn't functional anymore because of uh, that emotional distress or pain. Um, so, so quite similar to anxiety um, where we, we see that person not being able to function, not being able to be productive within the spaces that they usually uh, frequent. Um, that's where, that's where we'll, we'll see those issues. And, and look, the symptoms you, you'll be able to, you know, be able to tell us a lot about um, signs and symptoms as well. Luke, but it's like I said, you can go through those behavioral, psychological, um, you know, those emotional spheres, uh, quadrants, and see um, that things are being affected within those. Quite similar to anxiety, um, but it might not be as uh, external. So it's more of an internal style illness. So the person will, it'll be more withdrawal. So it'll be more insular um, as opposed to anxiety where you're more likely to see um, a person suffering from. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. I mean, it's something that obviously like I experience, but sometimes I can't even express it. I can't even and talk about it, but definitely, you know, the, the isolating and a lot of the time you, you don't even know that you've slipped into to that way of thinking. And, you know, for me now I can tend to pick it up a little bit more, but that's probably more because I'm, I'm present in more relationships and, and connections. So people are, are able to bring it up to me as well. But, you know, for anyone that's um, 
you know, particularly at this time that's, you know, feeling that way and, and, and isolating, like, you know, just, just reach out to people and, and stay connected because it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big help when you do that. We, we've talked a little bit about management and I want to talk about, I want to move on to Posimente. Um, you've, you've really developed something there which has been designed essentially by whole school communities to, to improve wellbeing outcomes for, for students. And look, your team is made up of mental health professionals and IT specialists with you know, extensive experience with working with that whole school community. It's, it's a platform that's been um, designed for leadership teams and with school staff. Tell us a little bit more around the, the functionality of the program and how it all works um, and, and essentially why it's been designed. Yeah. Um, so Posimente, in terms of, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a back story and origin story. So um, a couple of years ago, or probably going back about a year now, uh, I was working with the Kids Matter and My Matters uh, national frameworks and they were a, a framework that uh, any school um, or education setting within Australia could implement and that was more around improving uh, mental health outcome by uh, supporting them with things like resources and, and um, you know, things like well-being training for for staff, families, and students. Um, so I was one of the, um, the the state reps, state managers through that, and, and for me that that meant that I was able to connect with lots of different uh, school leadership and and counselling teams from from different schools. Um, and then I would run, I'd facilitate training um, around supporting students with with mental illness within their their whole school communities. Um, and we'd always get to a space within the training where we would ask the counselling team or the leadership team to identify how um, they would document their interactions with students um, around mental with that were suffering from mental health difficulties, um, and that's where we obviously saw a, a gap in in obviously the the. The process of the processes of schools, where now what we're starting to see are health professionals like um, counsellors, psychologists, social workers, occupational therapists, people that are being brought into schools to be able to uh, support children, young people with mental illness. Um, but I guess they didn't have the platforms to be able to, I guess, do their job. Um, as opposed to if they were working in a, a, men, a specific mental health space outside of an education setting. Um, so like myself, I work in, in a, a mental health um, uh, setting outside of an education setting. I've got a system, I've, I've got a platform that allows me to do things like assessments and case notes uh, and store all of that information safely. Um, so I guess if my notes get subpoenaed or... Uh, the family want those notes to be able to use I'm able to to obviously um, give them all of that information so um, I guess schools were were putting their hands up during the training and saying we don't have this I mean we're using this system and that system and it was a disjointed um, so our brain straight away went to okay how how can we develop a system that's 
that's unique for school communities. So for well-being teams within schools, for school leadership to be able to understand every student, because that's that's the most uh, complex things about education settings. They are um, they're probably the space of the greatest recovery for children and young people. But they're probably the most complex where you've got, you know, one in four, one in five young people suffering from mental health difficulties or mental illness, but within a school community and, and that's having to be managed. So how are schools actually capturing all the great things that they're doing? How are they capturing all that documentation? And then being able to put that, um, you know, silo that into, into data that they can use to be able to, I guess, work purely within that space of early intervention, which is so important, um, which is difficult because when you speak to counsellors in schools, they're usually managing a small group of students that are at high risk. But then what's happening to the other students that are, um, you know, that are suffering from mental health difficulties, but they don't know about, or that maybe someone else within the school is doing some really good work to support them. So how can we put that all in a platform? Um, so that's available to, um, well-being teams, counselling teams and school leadership. So over the last year, we worked with um, 10 sort of pilot schools within different within different uh, education spaces and that had different backgrounds from um, being big schools to small schools to uh, schools uh, with, with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, um, with multi-campus schools. So... We worked with a whole range of different schools um, and were able to come up with a, a platform um, that now is, is able to be tailor-made to, to that uh, unique school community's needs. And, and uh, we're starting to see some really, really positive results where schools are now have, you know, they've got their own data, they're able to affect their own um, outcomes uh, as opposed to... Uh, what they had before, which was a disjointed system or a system created, you know, uh, mainly for educators and not for health professionals. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a platform that's, that's quite unique. Uh, we're really, really proud of it on our end. Um, and we, we're looking be. for more, yeah, and we're looking for more school, uh, schools to get on board because we see, what we see is that, um it's, it's enabling schools to work within that space of early intervention and understand every child um, or young person within um, that whole school environment, which is what we want. So, because we want as many children, young people connected to education uh, for as long as possible. So, um, really positive results coming out of it. Good to hear, mate. I, like, I think back to, I can't really remember too much from primary school in particular, but high school, I think about the only real times I had conversations about behavior or um you know any issues that may have been going on was when i was either acting out or in trouble at school you know mm. via detention or going to see the counselor because i'd you know i'd done something naughty but it was the mm. only time that those conversations were being addressed so i can imagine there are a lot of schools that are focusing on potentially those higher risk where they're aware of a situation that may be going on at home or outside of the school or in the school. But as you say, what about the rest of the kids? So how does it work then for the rest of the kids? How are they then identified or then being able to work with any issues that they may have? Yeah. So there's a, there's a few ways within the platform that allows uh, schools to be able to work within that 
that early intervention space. And I guess um, there's the surveys that are linked to the platform that's linked to the students. So you can send out the survey straight away and that's via any, that can be connected to a student via any, via any mode, whether that's sent out uh, to the student uh, via messenger, via, uh, via phone, via email. Um, and that's a really easy way of just seeing where the students at over a period of time and, and, and I guess uh, collating that data on that. So if anything does spike your interest, you can go, um, someone can connect with that student. Um, but then it's, it's really the, the information coming in from your whole school community. So that's, that's, that's about finding out, um, you know, from your families what's going on, finding out from um, your staff members that are having these meaningful interactions and, and conversations during the day, making it really easy for them to just be able to, uh, you know, fill in a, a form that takes them 15 to 20 seconds. Um, and then that's collated straight away as well. And you're able to get data from that and someone's able to connect with the student as well. So there's, there's ways, I guess, where um, the platform is, is, you know, is is built around that connection and around things like protective fa factors, where you're asking everyone within the school community to to play their part, um, and then also, um, I guess it's it's around the the wellbeing team and the leadership team then being able to call upon people within the school that have got those key relationships with those students. Because that's what we've seen now over the last year where schools, obviously, they might only have a small counselling team and they might have 800 students. Um, so they're not going to be able to support every student. And that's where they will be able to call on a house coordinator or call on a PE teacher or an art teacher or a librarian or a front of house person um, that might have that key um, relationship with that student and say, look, this student you know, um, is having some difficulties at the moment. They've, you've got a great relationship with him. Can you connect with them, you know, and, and then let me know how you go. So it's, and the great thing is that everything's picked up on the platform. Um, so I guess if, if, if a parent does come in later and say, look, what's happened? How's my child being supported? You can show a full course um, uh, of actions that you've taken to be able to support that, that student over their journey, which is great. School's, um, love that ability and then there's data that's pulled from that as well so then you can start seeing the trends that are happening within different age groups you know within within uh, within different uh, groups within the school as well sounds fantastic mate and as someone you know i think back to school yes i might not have cared about it then but i, I look back at it and i think perhaps i could have picked up some early signs of of the way that i was acting out i, I look at it now as essentially almost a, a step farther and I think it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing to be able to to work with children so I commend you on on the work that you you're doing and I think it's absolutely fantastic and if you know if there's any parents out there if there's any teachers um, any educators uh, connected to schools or or anyone that's interested in that you can head to posimente.com.au that is p-o-s-i-m-e-n-t-e .com.au for more information and to connect with Vincent um, about Posimente as well. Yeah, thanks for that, Luke. We've, there's also other information there. We've got some uh, webinars and blogs that are being written by um, school counsellors that we're 
we're passing on and any resources that we see within our work uh, that will add value to whole school communities, we're also always projecting that out as well via the website. So anything that we can do to to obviously uh, benefit whole school communities, that's that's what we that, that's our goal. Perfect. Let's move on to the difficult conversation that is, you know, I can't even think about how to bring it up, but I want to talk a little bit about suicide. Um, you know, it's it's something that affects many, many people around the world when we're talking about, you know, over 1 million people die by suicide worldwide each year. You know, we, we look at current coronavirus, I believe the number's around 160,000 and it's been you know, technically going on for maybe six months. And, you know, it's a, it's a worldwide pandemic. And, you know, you think about that over 1 million people every single year and, uh, you know, the amount that the numbers have risen in the, the past 50 years is ridiculous. And, you know, when we think that on average, one person dies by suicide every 40 seconds somewhere in the world, you know, 40 seconds, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, it's it's a topic that's normally close to, to most people because unfortunately a lot of people have lost someone to suicide. How can as a society we we educate on this? How can we talk about it in a manner that you know the number can reduce? I know you're not gonna have all the answers, but how do how do we educate on this in society more? Yeah, and it's it's uh, you know it's a it's a topic that uh, I work closely with within uh, my role with with children and young people, and 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 obviously, like you said, we we are seeing uh, the numbers increased, um, which is which is something I guess as a community we need to look a lot closely at. But I think um, it's you know, backing on to what we were saying before, it's it's around having those, you know, being brave and having those meaningful conversations. I think that's what it comes down to, um, you know, asking a, a, a direct question but then listening um, is the most important thing. I have always show a video of, of um, people who have lost loved ones um, to suicide and, and there's a mother within that video who lost her daughter and she always talks about, you know, it's about having a conversation, a meaningful conversation, but then then listening, giving you know, having that ability to listen and not step into that space of feeling uncomfortable and coming up uh, thinking that you need to have that answer for that human being. So, I think it's 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 probably not as as simple as that in terms of what we're we're talking about, and 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 suicide is is very complex, and suicidality is very complex. Um, but I think. If we can be more aware and more perceptive of people who are really, really struggling, and it comes back to that, what have you seen? What changes have you seen within that that person's life that are significant? Um, you know, trust your your gut feeling. If if there's something that's really worrying you about that person's behaviour or or their demeanour um, or what they're saying is is really concerning you, you know, be brave and have those have those meaningful conversations but but be direct i guess when we're stepping into that space of suicide so then you can ascertain um you know where they're at in terms of um risk as well so if you're if you're feeling 
if, you, if you're just getting some form of sense that someone is feeling suicidal, you need to ask, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and, and best practice around asking someone is asking them directly. So you know, are you having thoughts of taking your life? Are you having thoughts of suicide? Um, and if they do say yes, then it's about, uh, you know, are you, do you have a plan to take your life? Um, and then after that, it's, it's about asking them things like, you know, are you going to be connecting with, with drugs or alcohol um, as well? And, and, and I guess my, my advice to people, I mean, they're hard questions to ask um, and they're hard questions to answer from someone. So I guess if you, if you feel like um, you're not the right person to ask those questions, that's, that's totally fine. And I've worked with, with, with many people um, within the space of, of mental health and wellbeing that have really struggled with those questions, whether it's an educator, whether it's a, you know, HR officer and people have put their hands up and said, look, that's really, really difficult for me to ask. And I, f- I don't feel comfortable and that's fine. It's great that you're perceptive that you're, that you can't ask those questions. Um, but who can, who do you know, who do you know within your space or within that person's space that can ask those questions, because I guess it can be really critical um, in terms of keeping that 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 person alive. Um, so I, I guess it's about asking them directly, then listening, because I guess the reason why we do ask directly is because um, that person may not be um, perceptive of 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 actually what's happening, and 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 if you ask them an roundabout question, you might get an roundabout answer. Um, so if you're trying to analyze risk, asking them directly is, is, is where you'll get a yes or a no, or, you know, or yes, I've been feeling this way. Um, and they'll be able to tell you, I guess, and, and, and if they have a plan, what does that plan look like? Is it imminent? Is it something that, that involves them doing something within, you know, the, the next short period of time? Um, so that might be you calling um, an ambulance to be able to get support to them. So I guess it's a really difficult space to be in. Understand your own well-being within that space, your own boundaries, how much time you have. Because you know I've worked with people before where they'll ask these questions, but then ten minutes later they've got to dart off to another meeting. Um, and obviously, if that person does say that they are suicidal, it's going to take some time. You're going to have to support them. You might need to call an ambulance. You might need to call mental health triage. You might need to call Lifeline. You don't want to be leaving the person alone. So understand that it does take time. So um, there's a few considerations that you have to make before asking those questions. But I guess being brave, being willing to listen, being willing to, to take time out and being willing to ask that person directly um, is probably the most important thing. But being able to trust your, your instincts, your gut feeling as well. If you do have concerns that that person is within that space, um, you know, trust yourself, back your, back your, your gut feeling and, and, and be brave and, and do ask them. Um, but then, like I said, making sure if they, they are um, feeling that way or they are feeling suicidal or they want to take their life, making sure they're part of the process going forward so you're not making decisions for them. Okay, so um, they're all the sort of considerations you have to make. And I think that's where I can 100% backtrack on what I was saying about 
mental health first aid training before because I think the the massive benefit of mental health first aid training is it can give people the skills and the confidence more so mm-hmm. with the knowledge of how to how to approach a crisis situation if you do come across that. So um, if you are interested in that, you can find that via um, the Mind Over Matter website and, and we'll, we'll um, get you trained up in, in that, which I know you're a very good instructor, Vince, but um, it's, it's not a conversation that's um, easy to have these, but um, I think one of the things, and, and when I first met you, you know, you were talking about, um, and, and you mentioned it earlier in, in the, the show today about how everyone has the power to be able to to assist you don't need to be qualified you don't need to have a you know a counselor's or a psychologist degree um, in order to be able to help someone why do you believe so strongly that everyday people essentially can be the biggest support to people with mental health issues yeah, because firsthand, Luke, of of I, I always ask the the children, young people that I'm I'm lucky enough to work with, I always ask them who's been um, the greatest, you know, influence on their journey, and I and I think I'm pretty good at my job, and they never really they never turn around and say me, they always turn around and 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 they they say someone significant within their life, and it and it can be someone within an education setting like a teacher or a librarian or a groundsman within a school or, or an art teacher or or can be a, a footy coach or a soccer coach or, or or a church, you know, church pastor or someone significant or a mother or a father, uh, an uncle or auntie, it's someone significant. Um, and I just think there's um, there's not enough mental health professionals out there anyway. Um as you can see, lots of the centres uh, that are open, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's huge waiting times. Um, they're really difficult for, for young people or, or people in general to be able to connect with. Um, so I think as a community, we've, we've really got a responsibility um, to be able to, to do that good work. And most often than not, it'll be the, like I said, the, 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 the person, the ordinary human being that's caring compassionate, empathetic, um, that has that meaningful interaction or conversation um, can stimulate that recovery within that person to help them to process what they're going through. So I just, I think it's so important um, that people understand that they can make a massive difference. And it's something that I'll always project via any work that I do, whether it's working with a family, whether it's facilitating training, I'll always say how significant I am within the process Mm. Um, and how significant they are and how much of a difference that they can make. Um, so that's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's Perfect. my take on it. Perfect, mate. Um, I guess a couple of things before we wrap up, what are some of your, as, as someone that's worked with a lot of people um, that, have, that have had a lot of mental health issues, with the current landscape, the isolation, the disconnection and all of that, which... We, we could say that we've been a disconnected society for a little little longer than the past four weeks, six weeks, whatever it is. But what are some of your top tips for people in the current landscape on on how they can really focus on their well-being and their mental health? I guess it's about perception and, and, and um, understanding what you have 
your usual routine from before and, and what you see as 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 now um, being obviously um, you know your your narrative at the moment so if it's changed um, understanding how it's changed uh, the impact that it's had on you so say if you've uh, you know, you're, you're a person that's been highly active and now all of a sudden you've become highly inactive. Uh, what's the, what's that, the actual impact on you in terms of uh, your physical health, your emotional health, your mental health, that sort of stuff? Um, you know, I always say to people, it's, you know, who are people in your life that you can connect with to support them through their journey as well? So, um and I'll do that within workspaces. So say for HR team, contacting people just to, to see how they're going. It's about always, you know, it's great that there's, you're doing that, but how can you support that person to call up their work colleague uh, and just say, check in with them and how they're going. So I guess you're, you're getting them to feel a sense of being useful within the situation. So I'll always say that, you know, how can you be useful in this situation? Do you know someone that's struggling yourself that you can, you know, send a text to or do some FaceTime with that'll help them pick up. Um, and then also think to think about when you've, I guess we haven't been in a similar situation, but if there's been a situation where you've been inactive for a period, how did you get through that, that period? What were the things that helped you to get through that period? Um, you know, and I guess it's about them being able to, to verbalize that or to be able to write that down or draw that. Um, so I guess they can they can also use that, but I think making making yourself feel as as helpful as useful within um, this space that could continue for the next three or four months um, is something um, that will obviously support you to to recover uh, and obviously decrease your your ability to um, you know to suffer from a mental health difficulty. So usefulness how can you feel useful within this space um and there's lots of ways that you can can be really useful um within this space well vincent thank you very much for for sharing a lot of your insights and and your knowledge you know for me personally it's like i get a a, a counselor each and every day to to listen to all of my shit but um you know I, I hope that the listeners um, gained a lot of a lot of value from what you've been able to share. I know we've scratched the surface on on a lot of these topics, and and these topics aren't just simple. Do this, do that. They they do take a lot more education and 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 practice um, to be able to understand and implement. But I, I do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Um, and I, I guess, is there any last um, piece of advice that you would like to be able to provide the amazing listeners that we do have? Uh, no, just thank you, Luke, obviously for, for our connection. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 yeah, you've, you've obviously helped me through some, some difficult spaces as well. So I'm really grateful for our connection, but I guess to, to the listeners and the, and the viewers just um, understanding how much of a difference that you can make within within someone's life and and um, you know obviously stay well and stay healthy uh, during this during this period well, thank you very much mate appreciate it my pleasure thanks for tuning into today's episode Massive thanks to Vincent Riviere for sharing all of that. It's As I said at the start, it's an amazing conversation that I love having 
um, with him. And it's important, very, very important, valuable tips and strategies that we can learn there. If you are struggling yourself, please reach out to someone. You know, depending on what country you're in, um, there's plenty of uh, 24-7 lines that you can contact where you can speak to trained counsellors. You know, I've used them personally myself when I have been struggling. And, you know, sometimes it is just that five, 10 minutes of being able to just talk to someone share what's going on and have someone listen that can can help you get back into a, a bit of um, mind frame or a better state so feel free to um, well not feel free but I strongly encourage if you are feeling like that please do reach out to those supports you know one of the biggest takeaways I got from this interview and and from my conversations with Vincent is the power that we all have to make a difference you know within my own journey within my own mental illness and addiction sometimes it's very very easy to just think i can't help anyone and i can't do anything because we you know we we criticize ourselves and we don't have the self-worth we don't have the self-love and to be able to understand and 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 really come back to the point of difference where we can make a difference we can support whether it's you know whether it is from a, a practitioner perspective from therapy whether it is from someone that has lived experience and can share their own experience and relatability whether it is the the sporting coach the football coach the netball coach um, who is there to just support whether it's a brother sister mother father auntie uncle friend colleague checkout person at the supermarket we can all make a difference The sooner we understand that and believe in it, it gives us true power. I want that to be, well, I mean, for me, that's the key takeaway to keep remembering that we all have that power to make a difference. And on that note, guys, thanks so much for listening to the to the, all the episodes that we've had so far in today's episode. And if you want to keep up to date, uh, make sure that you do subscribe to the show and they will be sent straight to your media player um, to be able to listen to uh, when shows are released every Tuesday. Um, we love hearing feedback. So if you've got any feedback, please send it through either via email or through one of the, the app providers. And if you do like what you hear, please rate review the show um we love hearing any feedback look forward to bringing you another amazing guest on next week's episode until then stay safe stay healthy look after yourself your loved ones thanks legends take the power back